Perfil Podcast. Pensando el coronavirus con Jorge Fontevecchia. Con Jorge Fontevecchia. Es hora de que comprendamos que estamos cuidando la salud de los argentinos. De asegurar la continuidad de nuestra vida democrática y de nuestras instituciones. Con el coronavirus y nos golpeó muy fuerte. Reconstruir económica y socialmente nuestro país. Y lo haremos cuando hayamos superado el virus y evaluado el impacto. Pero todavía hay una terapia contra el coronavirus. Es peor que el coronavirus hoy. Yo diría que sí, hoy es peor. Nadie puede moverse de su residencia. Todos tienen que quedarse Todos en sus casas. Que quedarse en sus Uno casas. no entiende, es mucho más fantasía la cuestión del coronavirus. Pensando el coronavirus con Jorge Fontevecchia. A profound conversation with Dr. Brian Inhok Kim, Senior Research of Disease Control and Prevention Center of South Korea. Thank you, Dr. Kim, for this interview. Uh, let me begin with, uh, has previous MERS experience prepared Korea and the neighborhood better than the Western countries? Yeah, so 2015 MERS outbreak experience in Korea is a, was a very hard lesson for us. We had a total of 186 confirmed cases and uh, 38 deaths total. And uh, actually we were we were the only country that had experienced MERS outbreak during that time. And uh, of course, there was uh, some sporadic outbreaks in Saudi Arabia, but it was not in this large scale. So, so because of that, we had to reform a lot of our emergency preparedness and a lot of preparedness against these kind of like emerging infectious diseases. And uh, so we have strengthened our Public Health Emergency Operations Center, and also we intensified our laboratory testing capacities, and also we strengthened our collaboration with the private health settings, private healthcare settings, and they also strengthened their infection prevention and control capacities in their healthcare facilities. So all these kind of effort after MERS coronavirus outbreak back in 2015 was a was a stepping stone for us and uh, it, I think it clearly made us uh, made for us better for us to be prepared for this COVID-19 for sure there's no question about this does the social discipline of a society with confusion religion help when the individual responsibility is necessary to combat the pandemic yeah, so let me just clarify one thing. Actually, this Confucian, re Confucian religion is not actually, it's just kind of like a tradition. Mm -hmm. It's not a consider, it's not considered as a, like a, one of the religion in Korea. So actually Korea is a composed of multi-religions, 30% of Christianity, 15% of Buddhism, and the rest of them, rest of the other populations are actually they don't have any specific religions. So I don't think there is a like a relationship between this Confucian tradition and uh, and control of the, these pandemic diseases. So I would say it's more like a transparent communications and also strong collaboration, cooperation of the general public because of their alertness and because of the lessons that we learned back in 2015 MERS outbreak. 
A democratic system like Korea is more or less efficient than the, to find uh, one pandemic than the authoritarian regime like China, for example. Uh, I personally think the social system is not directly associated with the uh, efficiency of uh, controlling this uh, fight against these pandemic diseases. Because uh, as, you, as you know, like a well-developed well-developed democratic countries like the U.S. and many other European countries were hard hit by this COVID-19. And also, like uh, Russia and Iran, they, all, they were also, they were having a lot of confirmed cases. So there is no kind of like a linkage between social system and, uh, and controlling these pandemic diseases. It's more, it's because of more of, of some preparedness activities before it really happens. So, yeah, I personally think there is no direct linkage. But how important was that from 2015, Korea's Center of Disease Control and Prevention, the key CDC, uh, it's become independent? Yes. Uh, back in 2015, uh, as actually KCDC was initially in charge of uh, controlling the situation, but as it became the national kind of issue, so there were kind of like multiple controlling powers, including Minister of Health and Welfare and the Prime Minister's office. So it's so it in the in the beginning, so it created some some duplication of the effort and also an unnecessary confusion in the field. So and and just for your information, independence of the KCDC is still undergoing. But uh, but one good thing is that once KCDC has a more independency, uh, it allows us to make more science and evidence-based decision makings, especially to to fight against this kind of novel infectious diseases. Uh, I think that was f 48 points in the act in 2015, uh, one of them was the expansion of the infrastructure and its health center uh, has a negative pressure room that the air does not live there. Uh, are the COVID also spread by air? Yeah, just for your information, the negative pressure room is often used to take care of uh, infectious disease patients. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, the main reason is that just to uh, to minimize the risk of uh, infection, risk of spread in the in the hospital settings. Mm -hmm. So that's why KCDC has been investing a lot of resources to increase the number of negative pressure pressure room isolation beds in the nationwide. But and this COVID nineteen is uh, normally transmitted through droplet transmission, so it's not a of course, it can spread through air only if there were some, kind, some certain kinds of aerosolized generating procedure like uh, intubation or suctions. That's why we initially put all those confirmed cases into negative pressure rooms. But and but it's not COVID-19 is not airborne transmission like a measures. So there is a clear difference. And. Uh, it's just been confirmed that the virus is not spread through urine or faces? Yeah, I saw some of the articles and some of the, I mean, research articles 
saying that there is a risk of a spread through urine or feces. But, but at this point, the likelihood of a transmission through non-respiratory pathway is very low. Dr. Kim, in the fight against COVID-19, was it okay for Korea to be the country with the largest number of people tested? Uh, 650,000 so far, having days up with almost 30,000 tests and in 120 centers. This was the key to fight against the COVID-19? Yes, I think this kind of like a massive laboratory testing capacity was a kind of one of the main factors we were able to somehow successful in controlling this outbreak. The main reason is that uh, this COVID-19 can even spread two days before symptom onset, and uh, it's, all, it's also very highly transmissible. So without having this kind of like a laboratory capacity, decision-making, especially in the, in the field, ca can be delayed. So because of thanks to this enough laboratory capacities, we were able to make a quick decision in the field and uh, we were able to isolate contacts and uh, also we were, we were able to treat the confirmed cases based on their severity of the symptoms. So this kind of leveraging capacity was a core of the, our, I mean, our response against this COVID-19. Uh, how was important to use a mask, face mask from the beginning? Yes, I mean, wearing face mask was a, Initially, it was kind of controversial in, in among many different, I mean, countries. But normally, Asian countries are more, I mean, they have, a, I mean, they are more willing to wear a face mask voluntarily because maybe some for cultural reasons. And, uh, and but initially, there were a lot of controversies about whether this is effective or not in, in terms of preventing infection from COVID-19. But at this point, it is clear that, especially when there is a wide, widespread community transmission, wearing face mask is very important. It's not just for protect uh, for yourself, but also you can protect others by wearing face mask. Because as I mentioned earlier, COVID-19 can spread even before two days before symptom onset. So even if you get infected with COVID-19, you can, if, if, if you don't wear this face, face mask, you can unintentionally un, un, transmit, spread the virus even before the symptom onset. So wearing face, face mask is very important. Uh, Dr. King, Singapore used the Bluetooth application, Korea another with GPS and purchase register to isolate people who come in contact with the detected infected. Was the big data the most effective tool to combat the COVID-19? Yeah, I think access to these big data like uh, GPS, geographic positioning systems, and uh, credit card usage record, and also we were allowed to access CCTV. I mean, and basically this kind of information is a supplementary information. We, it cannot replace traditional. I mean, epidemiological investigations like a face-to-face -face interview. And also, we have to be very careful in terms of using this information because 
there are a lot of information. So we need to pinpoint that we we that we that we need in terms of making quick decisions in the field. So so there's a lot needs to be done in still in Korea. There's a lot needs to be done to to find a more efficient way to use these kind of big data to uh, to support our field investigations and support our decision makings. It's still under it's, it's still under progress. Korea does not have a very large public health system. Was the cooperation with a private medical system the key? Yeah, as you mentioned, in Korea, uh, public medical system only accounts for 10% of the entire entire society, entire <coughs> country. So we are heavily relying on, not, I mean, private medical sectors in, in patient treatment and a lot of things. So collaboration with uh, this private medical sector is a very, very important. So we have been strengthened our, I mean, working relationships during even before this emergency time through the like, uh, routine information sharing, like a sharing information about our routine surveillance and also and, and getting a lot of consultation in many different topics. So we have maintained somehow good working relationship with the uh, private medical sectors. And uh, that was also another key factor for us to be able to control this COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. King, uh, this week was the first day without uh, autochthonous cases and only one day per day dropped. Uh, could there Could there be the second wave of the COVID-19 uh, in the near future, or has the battle against the, the, the virus uh, already been won? Yes, uh, I'm very glad that we now we now have only single digit number of confirmed, newly confirmed cases per day, and but that does not necessarily means that we are, we have won against fight against this COVID-19. The main reason is that because there are still some sporadic cases that is being reported in the nations. And uh, also, even if we somehow stabilize, stabilize the condition inside of Korea, other countries are still in the middle of this outbreak. So there is a continuous import of this virus through travelers. And uh, now, Uh, for the last couple of weeks, on, almost 80% of confirmed cases were actually imported from other countries. So as long as there is a COVID on this planet, we still have to maintain our alert level. And, uh, and uh, so it's, a, it's going to be a long, long-term issue for sure. Yeah. Um, is Korea's much lower death rate of COVID-19 in part because most of those infected were young, and why were the fewer infected people of all age? So the case fatality rate, uh, CFR, is, is a, as of yesterday, is a 2.37% in Korea. Uh, one of the main reasons that we have this kind of low case rate, fatality rate is uh, one our major cluster, Shincheonji, religious group as I was mainly composed of young adults like in their 20s, 30s and 40s and they don't normally have a 
like a chronic underlying conditions. But <clears throat> this case fatality rates tends to increase as uh, people get older. So more than 80 years old, the case fatality rate is uh, about 25%. So <clears throat> and I think we do have a relative low proportion of uh, this senior age group compared to other countries. And uh, that's one of the reasons. And also, we actually conducted proactive screening tests for long-term care facility once we identified COVID-19 in, in our community. So because of that, we were able to find um, potential exposure of these kind of long-term care facilities in which, uh, in which most majority of senior peoples actually stays inside of the facility. So we were able to minimize the exposure of this kind of facility to to proactive screening tests. And also in addition to this, I mean, we do have a, like a good access to medical service and that it allows us to control the situations. Dr. Kin, also this week, the stage of social distancing uh, has ended and the stage of distancing from the daily life begins. Uh, how is that? Yeah, that is true. And one of the main reasons of lowering this level of social distancing is because of the reduced number of newly confirmed cases per day. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, in the last couple of weeks, more than almost up to 80% of the entire confirmed cases are actually imported from overseas. So I mean, the situation inside of Korea is much more stabilized than before. And uh, so now we are in the transition period in terms of switching from enhanced social distancing to uh, distancing in daily lives. So we are now promoting this, I mean, because we have to get used to this kind of new normal stage. And, and as long as this is going to be a long-term issue, people need to get used to uh, this kind of social distancing in their daily lives. Were there boycotts and even destruction of consumers to place that did not comply with the recommended sanitary measures? Yeah, there actually there was no that kind of like a radical issues or events during this COVID-19 pandemic. It is thanks to cooperation of the all general public, actually. So, and they were voluntarily shut down their stores once once they identify the confirmed case had visited their one of their facilities. So it was based on all voluntary cooperations. And uh, so we are very grateful for their efforts and for their cooperation in terms of fight against this COVID-19. And uh, so there hasn't been any like uh, that tragic events like it in, yeah, in Korea. Dr. Kim, what new instrument would apply today that were not applied at the time that you begin the battle against the COVID-19? Yes, for, we actually, we have developed self-health check mobile applications. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so we applied for this for, I mean, home quarantine contact and home quarantine people. And uh, we also recently developed safe safety band to support monitoring of the of contacts. And uh, 
and monitoring of those who are in home quarantine. And uh, I think these kind of like a new, I mean, new tools and new approaches are also also being developed in many other countries after COVID-19. And, uh, and I've seen a lot of innovative kind of effort to, to, to support their, I mean, to, to support their, their response and uh, to, to control this outbreak. Do you believe in herd immunity? Uh, and is this epidemiological position ethical? Yes, this uh, herd immunity refers to the terminology that means uh, potential prevention of the infectious disease uh, due to increased immunity around people around you due to their because of their infection with the virus or or vaccinations. But as long as COVID-19 is a new emerging infectious disease, uh, I, I don't think I'm using herd immunity strategy is uh, the right thing to do. And, uh, and, uh, and also we have seen some of the European countries, they were struggling with uh, their situation because of they initially used this herd immunity strategy. And, uh, and as long as COVID-19 is a new emerging infectious disease, there is not enough information to, um, to, and to, um, to just use this herd immunity to protect the people. So, and it should be very carefully used only for those infectious diseases that we know very well. And uh, so, <clears throat> yes. Uh, how do you interpret interpretate that a high percentage of those infected uh, do not have antibodies detected? Yeah, it actually one, once some person is uh, infected with a COVID-19, it usually takes one to three weeks to develop antibody, and uh, for and because of that time frame, uh, it's a because of that time frame, and there is a still some chance for even infected person uh, may not be detect may not be detected with uh, antibody testing. And also immunocompromised people and someone with with, uh, immunodeficiency disease. And so they are unlikely to develop antibody against this COVID-19. So it's, uh, I mean, yeah, but just for clarification, and uh, we actually just, uh, or we we use this antibody testing for all reconfirmed tests or reconfirmed cases in Korea, and they all developed, I mean, antibody, just for reporting information. Dr. Kim, are immunological tests with such a high percentage, 20% of false negative useful? Yes, this high chance of a false negative means uh, it is very easy to miss the confirmed infected person, and it is not appropriate to use this as one of the uh, one of the tests that we can use in the response, in terms of response against COVID-19. And uh, this kind of like a immunological test using antibody is only, is currently recommended only for research purpose. And uh, it's not recommended for, uh, I mean, response measures. Dr. King, why 
where there are not quarantines and only social distancing. Yes, yeah, in Korea, quarantine measures were only applied to someone who were someone who had exposure to confirmed cases and also some someone who has a has a high likelihood of uh, exposure to uh, confirmed cases during their travel. So we actually we did not use this quarantine measure inside of the in the community level and uh, only social distancing was used because we were able to control this outbreak with a massive laboratory testing and uh, so we were able to we did not have to I mean lock down the entire some of the some of the region or some of the city because we were able to control the situations with a quick decision making in the field. Well, congratulations. Uh, what explanation can you give us that in 150 days the virus has been present in all the countries of the world while it was not so with SARS-1? Uh, yes, actually, I think, I mean, there's, there's actually many explanations that for, I mean, for the difference. And first of all, this COVID-19, and I know some, some countries and some experts are actually calling this SARS-CoV-2. Maybe it's because of this origin in China. So, but, but it's, it's clearly different virus. Even if it's the same coronavirus and it's, it's a different. So, and uh, there's also, I mean, human coronavirus. It's, it's uh, one, of the, one of the pathogens that we call it as a common cold. So the coronavirus has a very different types and uh, COVID-19 is a, is a new and a different one, actually. So, so transmissibility and also, I mean, basic reproductive number and also case fatality rates, that kind of many different things are actually quite different from SARS, SARS back in 2003. And also nowadays, all a lot of because of development of air traffic and trade, international air traffic and trade. So all countries are actually much more interconnected, and uh, because of that, I think one of the I'm because of that developed. I mean, international air traffic must have contributed to. I mean, must have facilitated facilitated in terms of spreading this virus, especially in the initial phase. That before. Countries started, started, I mean, using like an entry ban for travelers. Dr. King, what do we know about the immunity that this virus produces? Is immunity enough to have been infected to protect against future reinfections? Yeah, actually, there is not enough evidence to whether we can confidently say that infection with the COVID-19 can actually prevent reinfection of this virus in the future. So actually a lot of experts are, scientists and experts are actually doing some research on this. And uh, at this point, we need more research to figure out whether infection of this virus can lead to immunity against this virus. In many countries like Argentina and the South Hemisphere, the winter stage begins in which viral diseases are increasing. How do you think we should act 
by having this simultaneous circulation uh, as lived in the countries of the region. Yes, and I know that, I mean, normally these kind of like a viral, viral pathogens are likely to increase during the winter period. And uh, one of the main pathogens would be seasonal influenza, and it's also a respiratory pathogen. So I think there should be at least some of the surveillance tools that you can differentiate between, uh, between some respirate, routine respiratory pathogens like uh, influenza and with uh, against COVID-19. So just for your information, now we KCDC included COVID-19 into one of the, our routine laboratory surveillance in the nationwide. So 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 that we can make a differential diagnosis in terms of also we, we need to find whether there is any kind of like a transmission on, ongoing transmission in the community level. So so and in addition to this, we also included COVID-19 in SARI surveillance, which is a severe acute respiratory infection disease infection surveillance based on and based on hospitals. So the, the reason that we are including COVID-19 is, uh, I mean, differential diagnosis and also differentiation between these routine respiratory pathogens is, a, is a very critical. And otherwise, it can it can create a lot of a lot of confusion in the in the healthcare settings. So, and I I strongly recommend that you need to consider including COVID nineteen in one of your routine surveillance. The reason that we that we are promoting social daily distancing in uh, daily social distancing is that because COVID nineteen is going to be a long term issue and it's going to be there for for a while. So. And that's why people need to be get used to their daily, I mean, social distancing in their daily lives. And that's one of the, that's kind of like a different approaches in terms of like a community engagement and community and cooperations. So, and that's one of the things that, that, I, that I can also recommend. Dr. Kim, what effectiveness the vaccine should be expected? Uh -huh so that the world is not exposed next year to the same circumstances? Uh, I mean, of course, higher effectiveness would be better, of course, for sure. And, uh, and but, but normally, I mean, there is, we cannot, I mean, guarantee that 100% of effectiveness because of many different regions. And so, I mean, if we just, if I just, I mean, simply calculate based on, I mean, known numbers, I mean, it is estimated that basic reproductive number is around 2.5 for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And if I just simply calculate based on these simple numbers, and about 60% of the population immunity is required to prevent outbreak. So, and... If we somehow able to develop and vaccine, and if we are, I mean, lucky enough to vaccinate all people around, all people, at least uh, six percent of effectiveness is required. But this is just based on simple calculations. So 
in reality, it's much more complicated and much more, I mean, diverse. So, and and it's much more difficult. So, and the problem is, and COVID nineteen is going to be a long term issue. So, I mean, I wish I could say that next year there won't be any like a COVID nineteen outbreak, but but the problem is, it's going to be a long term issue. So, and and also. I mean, even if we develop vaccine and good effective effective vaccine, there's also the matter of supply of this vaccine. So it's going to be a very, I mean, difficult road, I guess. I understand. Dr. Kim, South Korea, despite entering the pandemic at almost the same time, has a number of deaths order in magnitude less than the Italy, 250 uh, versus 3,000 deaths in Italy. Outside the specific topic of COVID-19, both countries had very similar general public health indicators, such a high average of survival and low infant mortality. To what do you attribute the enormous difference, which is also reflected the comparison of all Western powers with the most developed Asian countries? Uh, yeah, I mean... I personally think it's not it's not very appropriate in terms of I mean just compare one country to another based on some some similar statistics because every country has a, their own healthcare their own I mean systems and their own characteristics so and even if it, Italy and Korea is a similar to each other in terms of some some health, I mean, statistics. Uh, I personally think there's a lot of difference in terms, especially in terms of like a structure of the medical uh, healthcare systems and also a lot of, I mean, social settings are, are quite different. And uh, so it's that I, I can only say that one of the reasons that we were successful in terms of controlling this COVID-19 outbreak is uh, because of the, I mean, in the big, as I mentioned in the beginning, because of the lessons that we learned in 2015 MERS outbreak, and also, and and we do have a relatively good access to medical healthcare systems because of, uh, because of the national health insurance, and which covers all people around, the, all, which is mandatory, and which is which covers all people in in the nation. So and. Korea is just, just better prepared than other other countries, and uh, and uh, so so we were we were actually we were very good at in terms of implementing three 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 P's, and which is testing, tracing, and treating procedures, and uh, we were uh, because we were we were practicing this kind of like uh, procedures because of the MERS coronavirus outbreak. And we also had uh, and several similar uh, simulation exercises to just to prepare for this emerging infectious diseases. And, uh, and also we used a lot of like a strict contact tracing and, uh, and due to the support of uh, a lot of like additional informations like uh, CCTV and credit card usage record and also, drug usage record. This kind of like additional 
information supporting system allows us to conduct strict identification of the strict uh, contact tracing. And uh, and because of our, our lessons in back in 2015, MERS coronavirus outbreak, we were also, we have constantly strengthened our laboratory testing capacities. And, uh, and that's all I can say, yeah. Dr. Kim, from the U.S., it is suspected that some of the information about COVID-19 is missing. For example, it's hard to believe that Malaysia has only 150 deaths or Hong Kong only four. So, yeah, you may not believe the number of, of some of the some of the countries. And uh, so, uh, what I can what I can explain is that every country has their own like uh, situations, and uh, there some countries have limited resources in terms of conducting laboratory confirmation. And uh, so, official numbers of confirmed cases should be, I mean, interpreted with a very caution because some countries don't don't have enough resources to conduct laboratory confirmation. So some of some of countries are actually relying on their lab capacities to international health organizations. So so you you need to carefully, I mean, you need to figure out their lab testing capacities to, and also, so it, it has to be very carefully interpreted. I mean, those numbers are, that the numbers that may not represent the real situation of those countries, especially in developing countries. Low numbers in Africa, it does not mean that there is a no, like a no spread of the COVID-19. So it, it should be very carefully, carefully, I mean, mm-hmm. interpreted, yes. I understand. And could be, doctor, in the statistic uh, be, be measured differently? For example, death for COVID-19 or along with death with uh, COVID-19? Uh, yes. I mean, this criteria for, for each country is actually is a very quite different. And it's based on their public health authorities' decisions. And this is their, this is not a right or wrong matter. And uh, it's up to their public health authorities' decisions. Just for for example, I mean, case definition for COVID nineteen in Korea has been has been continuously changed, revised, updated in the middle of the outbreak. And, and it's, it's a because, I mean, because we initially had a limited information about this COVID-19. So, I mean, but once we have more and more data, once there, once there is a, I mean, once this virus spread to entire planet, we had to modify our case definitions. So it's kind of, it's very common for, for, for some country to, in terms of changing their case definition, to, uh, to I mean, to adjust their case definition to based on situation. So, I mean, there is a there is no right or wrong answer here, and uh, so all statistics can, and can be measured differently. And uh, it's a uh, it just makes more sense for each countries to modify their case definition based on 
their situations. It's a very kind of like a flexible, I mean, flexible. Dr. Kim, could be uh, any difference between East and West related on diet, obesity, high blood pressure, or diabetes that make COVID-19 more deadly on the West? Uh, well, one thing I can clearly say is that many chronic conditions like uh, cardiovascular disease, cancer, or or <clears throat> and this kind of like a chronic conditions are actually, I mean, one of the main risk factors of the COVID-19. But but still, we are in the middle of this pandemic disease, and uh, I, I haven't seen any kind of like a scientific report or articles that shows the difference of the east and west based on their, I mean, underlying conditions. So we we may need more time to to I mean to see if there is any kind of like a I mean difference in terms of I mean Eastern people and Western people in terms of their chronic conditions and their proportion of the I mean and 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 their potential potential effect of those chronic conditions to the mortality of the COVID-19. So we may need more time and more research on this. Dr. Kim. What influence does international air traffic has on the problem and share condition with neighborhood countries? Yeah, I mean, as you, as we all know, I mean, international traffic has been continuously improved, and uh, nowadays countries are much more interconnected to each other, and uh, and because of this, because of this, I mean, interconnectivity. <clears throat> Infectious disease can spread to from one country to another, from one continent to to another continent, and uh, it is happening uh, all the time. But and COVID nineteen was a was a very I mean good example I mean for us. And uh, just for your information, majority of the imported cases in Korea is actually they they used all airplane and uh, and so. Sharing this kind of like uh, information and is a very important. And uh, just for your information, Korea CDC is now uh, has been constantly sharing the the confirmed cases of foreign nationals, and also we have been sharing even the contact of the contact during the flight to 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 other to each countries to make sure that they are doing uh, they are. They are, they are applying appropriate public health measures for those contacts, like a like a monitoring or home quarantine or whatever they need to do. So, and this kind of like a is collaboration with the I mean collaboration with other neighboring countries is always very important. And also, in addition to this, I mean information sharing is always kind of key because every country's even if they are in very different situation, every public health authority have a very common, I mean, questions in terms of, in terms of implementing public health measures, and uh, they all they all do have uh, their own concerns. So once we have this kind of regular, regular information share, sharing, we can make more, I mean, evidence based decisions based on other people's 
other countries experience. So, I mean, this kind of like information sharing is a very critical. And because, I mean, COVID-19 is a new emerging disease. And, uh, and, and none of the countries had a good experience in terms of controlling this, I mean, COVID-19. So we had to rely on, I mean, only limited information. But as time goes on, we now have, uh, I mean, all the countries have more experience how to control this outbreak. So, and we are actually sharing those information through, I mean, bilateral channels and through the international health regulation focal point. And so we are trying to strengthen this kind of a collaboration with the other countries. And uh, we, because that is the only way that we can, and we can be successful in terms of fight against this pandemic disease. It is highly probably that COVID, which are a lot COVIDs, did not start yesterday to go from animal to human. The conditions to that to happen have been in place for a very long time. Do you have any speculation uh, as to why the last 17 years uh, we have observed this successive event and had no record of similar ones in, in centuries, and can you assume that there were little flames that went out of the east without spreading when the air traffic was not current? <laughs> yeah, th I mean, it's just my, actually, just my personal opinion. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I mean, as I mentioned in the, in, the, in the middle of the interviews, actually, I mean, Human I mean, coronavirus is uh, is always uh, is always around us actually, but this novel coronavirus is a COVID nineteen is a but there there is a lot of like uh, I mean research and a lot of actually some controversies about this origin of this virus. Some say it's originated from the bat, and uh, some say well, some say it's uh, maybe originated from one of the I mean, laboratories by accident, mm -hmm. but, but the problem is, uh, one thing that I can clearly say is that, I mean, as we are in living in more developed, I mean, developing societies and uh, human animal kind of like uh, exposure and interface is, is much more, it's much more, I mean, frequent. It's it's becoming more and more more chances that we get exposed to. I mean, animals. I I know there is a many differences in terms of like uh, I mean, based on locations. But still, I mean, human population is actually growing in the in the planet. So we are now actually living because because of the I mean geographic limitations. We are now actually, I mean living in a lot of like uh, regions that we did not live before. And because of that, I mean, human animal kind of like, a, I mean, exposure and interface is uh, it's becoming more frequent and much more, I mean, it's, it's becoming more routine. And because of that, clearly there is a like a increased kind of like a likelihood of a development or emergence of this kind of like a novel pathogens. And, and also in addition to this, I mean, because uh, for example, some, some of the, like, uh, some of the pathogens, we, we, 
maybe we were not able to detect those pathogens before. And because of the lack of laboratory capacities or because of the lack of, I mean, laboratory diagnostics. But nowadays, we, I mean, laboratory capacities and laboratory diagnostics, there is a lot of huge improvement, improvement especially in the, in the, I mean, developing countries. And because of that, now, nowadays, we are seeing more and more this kind of emergence of new emerging <laughs> infectious diseases. And yeah, it's a, it's a, I don't, I don't have actually the right answer for your question, but that's all I can say. Now, nowadays, it's uh, becoming more and more global trend in terms of, I mean, having more chance to be exposed to animals and, uh, yeah. And the last question, Dr. Kin, and thank you for your time. In the Oscar-winning film, Parasite, mm -hmm. uh, show large difference in economic uh, class. Uh, and in my country, are very interesting to understand how did you resolve the problem with the people of low economic class and high economic class in coronavirus? Would have any difference in the infections or the deaths in different social, social classes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, the the movie Parasite is a is a. It showed. I mean, it was a kind of like a. I mean, very. I mean. A dramatic kind of like an example of the, I mean, difference in terms of like a social class based on their economic situations. And, uh, well, I mean, but, but for me, I mean, I mean, Korea is actually is provide is having like a mandatory health insurance for all, I mean, all populations and, uh, for, for those, I mean, who don't make enough money to live their lives, they were also fully supported by the government. And uh, so, I mean, even if there is a, I mean, because it's a democ democratic society and uh, all, everybody has a freedom. And so, but it, that does not, and that kind of like a drastic experience, example of the social class does not mean there is a difference in terms of, I mean, access to medical care. And uh, so, and especially for uh, for someone like me in the working in the public health, we are. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. I mean, everyone is a everyone's everyone is a precious. I mean, I mean people actually. Everyone is a precious people, and uh, so, I mean, there is no like a major difference. Uh, there is no difference in terms of. I mean, in terms of implementing public health measures. And because we have to, and there is no, like, COVID-19 does not differentiate between high class or lower class or someone who make a lot of money and someone who make less money. There is no, <laughs> there is no difference. And uh, so that's why we have to be, I mean, that's why we are here. I mean, public health authorities are, KCDCs are here to, uh, to protect our people and against these, I mean, noble threats. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I hope that that gives gives you the answer that you. Yeah. Thanks. It was very clear, Doctor King. Thank you very much. Perfil podcast.